It's my privilege to, to be here with you this morning and, uh, and to further share uh, what God is doing. I was just, I was just thinking as I was, as I was coming, uh, coming this direction, I think it's been since almost since 1996, you guys have, as a church have been supporting us and uh, amongst the Mangan people as we've been ministering there. And uh, initially it wasn't amongst the Mangan people, but God led us there in 1998 as, as tribal church planters. And, and so what you're going to hear this morning as I continue to unpack and unfold the story as to what God is doing amongst the Mangan people, this is as much your story as it is our story. And that's how God looks at it. We're the body of Christ. You smash your thumb, your whole body hurts. And so I'm just the thumb, as it were, that has gone out. And as the body of Christ, you stood behind us. Um, and God has continued to lead us and to work in and through us. And uh, we'll start the PowerPoint. Hopefully it will work. Uh, we're hoping that's gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go along. So this, um, this amazing story of God's grace amongst the Mangan people as this least reached people group have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Now, typically, typically what I've done in the past is I've kind of uh, taken the Mangan story, from the, reviewed it from the beginnings, and then just kind of added on to it. As, we, as you know, that uh, we're tribal church planters amongst the Mangan people in Papua New Guinea, just north of Australia, and uh, that's where we typically have, have shared the story. But this morning, what I thought I would do is I would encapsulate the current uh, Mangan report within a typical Mangan Bible lesson. I realized that I, I would love to be able to take every one of you to the, to the village of Lele to sit in at a church service with our, our tribal believers and to hear the impact of God's word amongst them, but that's not a reality. So what I thought I would do this morning is I would bring a Bible lesson, a Mangan Bible lesson to you, and I would un- pack it and share it with you. Now the interesting thing is, this format is not my own. This format is our Mangan Bible teachers, and I have to warn you at the outset that they have become very direct in their illustrations, their applications. They leave no wiggle room on the part of their hearers. And though I've changed the illustrations and the application, I've stretched out the lesson a bit. This is a typical Mangan Bible lesson, and I've, re- I've, I've preserved their format, I've preserved the theme in this one, and I've, re- I've, I've preserved their direct fav- uh, flavor, and it will demand a response. You see, as a mission, we center on engaging people with Christ through God's word alone. There are many good things that we could be about, but God's word is central and is the only thing that is able to impact a people group at a worldview level and to see their hearts changed. This is why we as a mission are committed to communicating truth in the heart language of the people, teaching foundationally, translating God's word into their heart language, and then teaching to see a mature church established. And so to illustrate this, I want to share a typical Mangan Bible lesson, and I'm going to take the first uh, theme, as it were, out of our second level of teaching that would ground new believers in their security in Christ. The theme of this uh, that I'm going to share with you this morning, and uh, it's not going to work. Hello? Come on. I was warned that they would do this. Can you just advance it for me, please? You did it, and I did it too. Can you go back? The theme that I want to share this morning is God has sent his word because he desires that, that Christ to engage with us, desires Christ to engage with us through it alone. And so this morning, let's, let's turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, the passage that was read. Matthew chapter 28, um, and verse 18, and going from there. But before we do, let's just begin with a word of prayer and ask God to unpack his word for us. We can only understand it as the Holy Spirit uh, illustrates it to us. 
God, we come before you this morning. We thank you and praise you for what you've done amongst the Mangan people as your word has gone out to them, as, a, as, a, as we have gone, as we've been supported by this church. And this morning we want to pause just to reflect again on what you're doing amongst the Mangan people. And uh, this is a story of what you have done as we've been faithful to you as a, as a church and as missionaries of, of going out. God, your word truly is powerful. It's able to change people's lives. And God, this morning as we bow before you as your children, we bow under, your, under the authority of your word. Your word is unchangeable. Your word is, is absolute and is our final authority. Everything bows to it. And God, this morning we ask that the enemy would be bound, that he wouldn't be able to distract and discourage, that God, we would understand the truth of your word and we would go out as changed people. God, we're expecting you to bless and to work through your word this morning. In thy name we pray it. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, uh, it goes like this. I, I put on the PowerPoint there. It says this, that, that uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I've commanded, uh, commanded you, and behold, I'm with you, low to the end of the, of, of the age. So what, what is God's main purpose for every believer? God's main purpose for every believer is to make disciples of all nations. And so that's our purpose. But the question is, what is, it, what is a disciple? A disciple is a believer who is ever increasingly worshiping Jesus in all of life, changed by Jesus in all of life, obeys Jesus in all of life, and teaches others to do the same. And so thus we turn to, to go out and make disciples of all nations. But how does a person become a, a disciple of Jesus Christ in the first place? is through repentance of, of, of sin and faith in the finished work of Christ alone as seen through the proclamation of truth. Then by what means then does God, does God use to lead a disciple of Christ to ever increasingly worship Jesus in all of life, changed by Jesus in all of life, and obeying Jesus in all of life and teaching others to do the same? It's through engaging with Christ through his word alone. Therefore, the job of a discipler is to first share Christ in the heart language of, of his audience so that they can clearly understand. And at that point, our job isn't finished. Our, our job then is to continue on to teach and disciple in everything that God has, has commanded. As it says here in this particular verse, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is not just speaking of water baptism. This is speaking of us as communicators of truth to immerse them into a knowledge and understanding as to who the God the Father is, who God the Son is, and who God the Holy Spirit. Picture it in baptism. We're to immerse them into it. We're to engage them with the Godhead. And so that's what our job is as believers. And this is why I'm so convinced of the necessity of foundational Bible teaching, not only to bring a person to Christ, but to disciple them, progressively following through the revelation of God's word. And so when we teach, we begin at the start, teaching foundationally. God alone knows how best to immerse us with, with Jesus Christ, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We're teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's our job as communicators of truth. So let's pause to unpack the absolute necessity of God's word in the life of the believer. Chiefly, Christ's desire that we would engage with him through it alone. But before we go any further, let's pause to reflect on how God has sent his word in the first place and the importance that he places on it. Namely, God marked 40 prophets to write his word and to give us his word. He moved them by his Holy Spirit to write exactly what he wanted within this one book, the Bible, so that we would accurately receive it. He gave us his word in, in a book and not just in stories passed down, in, 
passed down through generations. He's protected his written word through the generations so that today that we have it in our heart language in a way that we can understand it. And then God has sent us teachers to communicate it to us clearly from beginning to the end to understand it. So listen, right now what we're holding in our hands is not just some random book off a library shelf. This is the word of the God who spoke the worlds into being. Think about that. The very words that God spoke to create light and everything into being, we get to hold into our hands. He's given it to us in a written form in a book. His word is absolute, it's objective, it's unchanging, it's outside of ourselves, and it's absolutely concrete. But you know something? God reveals another aspect of his word beyond even these profound truths. And it's found in John chapter 1 and verse 1. And it goes like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the question is, why is the word, why is that capitalized? Why did did God choose to do that? is because it's the personal name of Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, every word of this book from cover to cover is synonymous with Christ. These are his words. These are him. He breathed them. He gave them to the prophets. He guards them. He hovers over them. He meets with us within his pages. And it's no wonder it says in Hebrews that God's word is living and powerful, sharp in the double-edged sword. The reality is that God reaches out to us through this book to reveal God to us. He designed us in our creation as his image bearer. He enabled us with a mind, a motion, and a will so that we could engage with him through his written words so that we could know him and we could make decisions to follow him. He had the purpose of a relationship in mind to engage with him. So through it, he revealed our sin, our separation from him, our hopeless condition, and the one means of rescue. Had he not, we would forever be in the dark. Think about that. The very security that we as believers have are rested, are founded in this book where God has revealed the one means of rescue to us. And through this one message is our hope. And through this one message is our, for, is our source of joy amidst all of life's upheavals. It's our one source that communicates what is ahead of us as believers. And so what I want to do this morning, just very quickly to illustrate, is the importance that God's word has had amongst the Mangan people. Because it's had a profound impact. In fact, it was really interesting as our kids came home to this foreign country of Canada and they began to take jobs. Other words, uh, people began to ask them, how do you know that this Bible is true? You know what our kids said? We know this word is true because we've seen what it's done in the lives of those Mangan people. We've seen them transform before our very eyes. This is incredible. On a side note, those that say the Mangan people are special, prepared by God to more, re- to more readily engage with this word is believing the lie of the enemy. They were against, against the truth of God's word. Case in point, 90% of everything they ever believed in was built on a lie. Satan had torpedoed key necessary truths against the gospel by telling them that God hated them, that God had abandoned them, that the spirits were everything, the Mangan people were powerful through their magic, sin was cheap, etc., Empty religious churches abounded amongst them that further confused them, that that messed up key terminology to explain truth. Every one of our Mangan people are self-righteous. They're proud. They'll go on strike at the drop of a hat. They would never let anybody tell them what to do. Satan and the spirits have taken away their reasoning and reading skills. And their basis of truth is on an oral, changing tradition. And as animists, they readily add anything to to their animistic beliefs. 
And so the reality is we went to live amongst them. We had absolute confidence in this one book, this one message is able to transform them. Do we as believers realize the power that we have in this one book that's able to change people for all of eternity? That's the reality of the message that we have. It's through the authoritative teaching of God's word in their heart language in a way that in in light of their culture. Because the reality is we need to know their cultural filter. They're going to take this message, they're going to filter it through their cultural grid, and you need to make sure that as they filter it through, that God's word stands absolute, unchanged, undiluted, and, 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 and truth, and they can stand on it. And so this is why we teach foundationally that through the God's word, beginning in Genesis and systematically teaching through the chronologically of God's word. And this is the illustration that we use amongst the Mangan people to illustrate how we teach and why we teach. Here's a typical Mangan house built on stilts. The posts of the house are the, are the foundations of the house. This is our first level, the evangelistic phase, some 87 lessons long, starting as who God is and his nature and his character. We're, we're helplessly and hopelessly lost in sin, who the Redeemer is and, and what's necessary for salvation. Then the second level is, uh, is uh, what this message comes out of this morning is our security in Christ, uh, our establishing through the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And then it's the book of Acts. At the, the, the backbone, then Romans, then Ephesians, then 1 Corinthians, then 1 Timothy and Titus, the, the leadership of the church, and then 1 Thessalonians and, and Revelations. And then with the whole purpose of wanting to see them engaging believers with Christ through his word alone so that, uh, that he is glorified and that they come to maturity. And that's what God's intent is. And so when I was with you last time, I shared the impact of the gospel message on the Mangan people and how it's transformed their lives and it began to seep out through their culture. And as we went back in September 2013, helping our kids transition to, to Canada, we were, we, were, we were really surprised. You see, we had left the believers as infants in the faith. When we returned to them, they were teenagers as a result of the teaching and discipleship of our partners. They were making great strides, but as do our own teenagers, they were bumping up against God's word and they were stumbling and, and working with and wrestling with God's word continuously. And to be honest, it took our believers probably about four months to trust me to work with them as teenagers and not as infants. And you know something, case in point, as we returned, we sat down with our partner who had been there. We've sat down with him to evaluate where the, uh, the church is at based on our mature church model. We, we use that to see where they're at on their continuum. We recognize needs of what I should work on. But our partner said to me, he says, Dave, before you begin, you need to stop and, and hear it from the Megan guys. Well, I went to the first teacher's meeting, and there's four, there was four Mangan Bible teachers at that point taking over the teaching, and I was in for a surprise. You see, the very first teacher meeting took place in the classroom building, and it was the four teachers there, plus there was many onlookers. And as we began to sit there, they began to lay out for me the missionary. Think about that. They began to tell me what I would be doing. I'm now accountable to them, not me telling them what I'm going to do, them telling me. And so what they wanted me to do is to go back to the beginning of our chronological teaching and reformat it based on their format. To to explain, I had left them with teaching material from from Genesis through to Romans, and our partner extended it from uh, Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. But as they began to take over, they struggled with our format. And so they turned it on its ear. And the process of turning on its ear, they reformatted the lessons. And in the process, they simplified them, but they also sharpened them. And they said, Dave, we want you to make all of our changes to the lessons. And that's what I'm working on currently. And then they asked me to develop a teacher training course. There's no Bible schools to send our, our, our teachers to. We have to do all the teaching in-house, uh, on the ground. And so they needed, they needed a teacher training course to, to enable them to become teachers. 
So right then, in the, you gotta, right then on the spot, they began to say, we need some teacher trainees, Dave. Here's some guys for you. And they said, well, who's possible? And so they began to write up guys' names on the blackboard. Right then and there, potential teacher trainees, George and Fred and Henry, they began to write them on the blackboard. And then, and then right beside it, they wrote the criteria, how to evaluate them, a five-point criteria, a, a clear confession of faith, um, desires to teach, uh, attend the teaching of God's word in his work, um, showing signs of humility, teachable, desiring teaching of God's word, not financial gain or, or our status, and of good character to others. They wrote them up. And then right then on the spot, publicly, they began to evaluate the very first guy, George. How does George line up? Now, George is sitting in the audience. And they're talking about George right then and there. And I said, hang on a second here. This is a shame-based culture. He's gonna, George is going to get upset. We're going to go to court over this thing. You know what they said to me? They said, if George has a problem with this, this is evidence that George isn't ready to become a teacher trainee. And they continued on at length. Truly God's word is changing their lives. How would that fly here? We need, we need some Sunday school teachers. Let's put some Sunday school teachers' names on the border. Let's begin to evaluate them. How would, we do that? How would we do that here in Canada? That's the impact of God's word. And there are many other evidence of worldview change uh, that brought about the, uh, by the authoritative teaching of God's word. And this was interesting. After our key teachers had been taught through 1 Timothy at one point, um, they paused. The teachers got together with their wives all on their own, no part. The missionary didn't, didn't uh, encourage them. They got together as three couples, and they began to personally evaluate each of themselves, amongst themselves, based on the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3. First talk about the husband, then the wife, in the context of the group. They did this, directed by themselves. Weekly teacher meetings or oral and personal evaluations of the group based on a set criteria. Confession of public sin is done openly in front of the church and restoration happens quickly. Oh, thank you. They share their faith with everyone, often staying up through the night to talk about their faith. And it's just incredible to see them. And then, lo and behold, an invitation came from a village to the north of us, the village of Belogo, eight hours to the north of us, two of our families picked up, moved out that eight-hour hike, and began to teach. And here's some pictures of them as they were commissioned on the top there at great personal sacrifice, resulting in them planting the second Mangan church all on their own. Five men and two ladies stepped up to be trained as Bible teacher trainees in their respective groups, and another five stepped up to be trained in maintenance, all without pay, all as a mystery for God. Now I need to preface this. This wasn't all that mean that it was all rosy, that everything went smoothly. There were some that, that did well, there were setbacks and there was defeats, and some made great strides and some not so much. Case in point, about a year ago, just before Easter, We as teachers were sensing in our Sunday morning gatherings as we're teaching through the book of Acts that there was a deadness creeping in. There was almost a going back to the empty religious activity that they had come out of. And so as we prayed about it, we began to receive uh, input from our church planning consultants, men who had planted other tribal churches before, and they said to us, listen to this very carefully, they said a great solid teaching program can easily slide into an empty religious exercise unless your people, unless you're enabling your people to engage with Christ through the teaching of his word. Do you hear that? You can teach all you want, but if you're not engaging people with Christ, actively engaging with Christ day by day through the lessons of God's word, it will slide to empty religious exercise. And so we made some changes to address it. 
We spend more time in prayer as leaders for the believers. We evaluate ourselves as teachers and our level of unity to ensure that God would bless us and move through us freely. We insisted that every believer brings his Bible to every lesson. And when we would read a scripture, we say, we would read, say, turn your Bibles to, to verse such and such. We would pause to ensure everyone had opened their passage before we began reading. We took all the believers back to the beginning to teach them by our new sharp and formatted uh, lessons. And then we taught in the evenings, not on the Sunday morning empty religious time slot that they'd always met in. But this latest change, though we announced it, just so happened to fall on Easter weekend and did fur fly. No word of a lie, did fur fly. Because, you see, there was, there was one influential believer that was so upset that we wouldn't have a traditional Easter service that he stole our conch shell that we blow to signal the service. He stole it and hid it because we wouldn't have the service when he wanted it to. And so it was just further evidence that we were sliding the wrong direction. We stuck to our guns, and then God led us on another incredible discovery. Namely this, how do we simply teach our believers how to study God's word for themselves inductively like we did in the Sunday school? These are semi-literates. These are newly literate people. And so together with our partner, we reduced it down to a half sheet of paper, as I share with the Sunday school, down to a half sheet of paper that the men and people can study God's word for themselves. And the beauty of this miracle is, is that it enables our tribal leaders to write their own Bible curriculum going forward. And this is what I did. I had my great big whiteboard. I grew a piece of laminate to it. I wrote one verse across the top, brought in our Bible teachers and trainees, gave them this one sheet of paper. And the next four to six hours, they began to wrestle with God's word. And by the time they were done, the whiteboard was full of what they personally pulled out of scripture, reduced it into one point of a lesson. God's word works. And so now our believers, and they hear someone spouting about truth, they say, hey, chapter and verse, get your Bible, prove it to me. God's word is so important to them. And since I've been home in January, our believers have been bombarded and tested by every, further, uh, by every angle that they can conceive and to continue to pray with them, but they're preserving, uh, per, uh, they're continuing on in the truth. Our job is not done amongst the Mangan people. Some 70% of the New Testament has been translated now, and that has to be finished, as well as I need to finish transferring all of the Bible curriculum over into their own language, into, into this new format, until such time as they take over at 1 Timothy, some 200 lessons I need to write and check. And I'll be doing that pretty much full-time while I'm here at home before we go back to the Mangan people and help our kids, our youngest daughter, transition. If you want input or updates, there's sign up in the back sheet. But here's the question. What does this mean to us personally? What does this, what does the reality of this mean to us as personally? So here's a question for us. How many of us here have acknowledged that you're a sinner against God, completely unable to pay for your sin in and of yourself, and put your faith in the finished work of Christ alone? Put your hand up. How many have put your faith in the finished work of Christ alone? Put your hand up if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So the reality is then, as a believer in Jesus Christ, is that we're a disciple. So read this with me together. I am first and foremost, everybody together, I am first and foremost a disciple of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christ is empowering me to ever increasingly worship him in all of life, changed by him in all of life, obeying him in all of life, and teaching others to do the same. So this is the reality. As we come back and we begin to personalize it, as we take God's word, notice here that this is based on God's word. Notice the empowerment. It's Christ who it's empowering. It's as we're personally engaging with Christ through his word alone. It's centered in him. It's through our engagement. 
So what is this one means? It's through active, personal, consistent engagement with Christ through his word alone. But sadly, we as North American evangelical believers, we're swallowing the lie of the enemy that God's word is no longer relevant. It's no longer our final authority. This is now, a, 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 this is now an option to be considered. It's no longer a commandment to be obeyed. It's no longer our final authority. Case in point. In the 1960s, out of 10 people called to full-time ministry, one would go. But today, out of 100 people called to full-time ministry, only one will go. And after 2,000 years, there's still 2,000 languages still waiting to hear of Christ for the first time. And God has commanded us to go. But we sit and we continue to let them go to a Christless eternity. Why do we do that? It's it's, it's a litmus test of us as believers. As we're engaging with Christ, if we're actively engaging with Christ to the level that we should be, then the evidence of that will be a passion for the lost. It will be a passion for the 2,000 languages still waiting to hear. And as I am not broken as I should be, then that's evidence that I'm not engaging with Christ to the level that I should be. And I need to come before the Lord in brokenness and repentance. And the reality is, is evidence that we're sliding towards empty religious exercise. We're not engaging with Christ. To see the 2,000 languages still listed, they're still waiting to hear of Christ for the first time, is evidence that we're sliding to empty religious exercise. But before we're prepared to engage with Christ through his word, then God's word must claim its final place of authority in our lives. And this is something our Mangan people do in their lessons. And I'm going to lead you through an exercise of what they do. As we come back to understand that God's word is our final authority, then there's, that it means that there's going to have to be some beliefs that are going to have to discard. Those beliefs are such as this. There is no absolute truth that's relative based on what each of us think. This truth has to fall based on the truth of God's word. We've got to discard it because God's word is absolute. Science is empirical, therefore uh, God's word has to bow to evolution. That's the lie of the enemy. The majority of our present society determines truth. Absolutely not. God's word is our authority. No one has the right to speak into my life. I'll do what I want when I want, and no one will tell me otherwise. We've got to get rid of that belief because God's word is truth. Every religion is equal in its truth claims. A lie of the devil that has to be discarded as well. Truth is what I feel like. If God's word is truth, then those beliefs that we're buying into, those beliefs that we're settling on, have to be discarded. Everything has to bow before this one book. This is our final authority. God has redeemed us. He's our final authority. We exist for him and for him alone and through the teaching of his word. Everything has to bow before it. But you know something? There's yet another lie of the enemy that has to fall before we'll engage with Christ through his word personally. And that that lie is this. God's word is too hard to understand, therefore only those with training can dig into it. This strikes at the very heart of Christ who loves us and right now desires to engage with every one of us in an ever-increasing relationship. Think about it. He created every one of us, every man, woman, and child in his image with the ability to think reason, to think and feel and make decisions. He created us with that ability in order that we could engage with him through his written word for the purpose of relationship. And right now he stands ready to engage each one of us with the ability to engage with his word. To engage with his word, he redeemed us and will spend eternity with him. He's not made his word rocket science. Think about it. 
The Bible is the only book where the author is in love with the reader. And so as we take this love letter from our creator, the one who's redeemed us, and we open it up as we would receive a letter from our sweetheart, as we would open up and we would read it, and we would pause to dwell in it, then God wants to meet us. Our daily reading, of the, our, our, our daily reading the daily bread is a good start, but there's got to be so much more. Guess, guess what, believers? This is going to cost us. We're going to have to give up something. We're going to have to cut back on our video games and our movies and TV and sports and toys and, and holidays and all of that to make time for this one important thing, the truths of this word. But here's a question. Why would we ever want to dig into God's word personally on a consistent basis? Think about it. Why would we ever want to do that? One, God commands it. Two, it's the only means of spiritual growth as a believer. Do we realize that? If we want to grow as a believer in Jesus Christ, this word, engaging with this word, is the only means of of, of spiritual growth in the life of the believer. Thirdly, if we are not, listen to me very carefully, if we are not engaging with God through his word, then we are sliding towards empty religious exercise that is impotent and useless. If we are not engaging with Christ personally through his word, then we are, we are sliding towards empty religious exercise that is impotent and useless. Fourthly, we're missing out on a tremendous blessing. Fifthly, teenagers, listen. If you are not right now engaging with Christ through the teaching of his word, in five years you will not be in this church. You will not be connected with Christ. Let me illustrate another way of all that's available to us if we choose to continuously and purposefully engage with Christ through his word. What would we think of a guy, think of this, what would we think of a guy who had been given a bank, a bank card with unlimited funds, he's stuck in his pocket, he lived on the street and died as a pauper. What would we think of a guy like that? We think he's stupid. Give me the card. I want the card. But really, as believers, aren't we doing the same thing? We have something so far greater than an unlimited bank card. We have the very words of Christ and his promise of blessing for now and for all of eternity. We hold it, but what do we do? We shove it in our pocket. We live as it were on the street, and we're dying as paupers. Once a week, we bring it back out to somebody to tell us about it. It goes right back in our pocket. We don't live in it. We don't engage with it. We're as foolish as the guy with the unlimited bank card. Right now and every day, the one who spoke the worlds into being, the all-knowing one, is waiting for every one of us to open up his word, to engage with him, to spend time with him, to unpack it. And for those, for those that say, I, I struggle to make sense of it, on the back table is this, is this form that we've done up. You can make yourself, take yourself out of that. And if you, need, if you need help to unpack it, I'm sure your pastor would love to help you. Your Sunday school teachers would help, love to help you walk through that to, to make sense of that. For Sunday school teachers, listen to me. For Sunday school teachers, youth workers, Bible study leaders, those that communicate truth, it's imperative that we don't just teach truth. We have to enable our hearers to, in, to, to interact with Christ through the teaching of his word. We can't assume that people can just read God's word. We have to enable them to read God's word. The enemy is taking away the reasoning skills of our children through the media-driven uh, eye gate that they're resting in. They're losing the ability to think and to reason, just as our tribal people, was, that was taken away from them. They need that gift. We've got to guide them into it. Then lastly... Why does Satan work so hard to keep us from engaging with Christ through his word? Why are there so many distractions? 
Why in this technological age are we busier than ever? Why is every one of us as believers feeling this spiritual battle so acutely? Do we ever ask ourselves that question? It's because, when we, it's because as we're not engaging with Christ, we have no message to impact Satan's followers with. We've been lost for all of eternity as believers in Christ. We've been lost for all of eternity from Satan. But he's now fearful that we as believers are going to take this one life-changing message and impact his followers. And he wants to keep us impotent. He wants to keep us back with no power to influence his followers. And he throws everything at us as believers to keep us distracted, to, to, to discount the word of God. God, through science and through everything so we don't believe in it and we're distracted and we're busy how impacting do you think it would be on our world if as disciples of Christ we are so consistently engaging with Christ that we're increasingly worshiping Jesus in all of life we're obeying him in all of life we're being changed by him in all of life and we're teaching others to do the same right now we as believers have that opportunity not through our own ability, through the empowerment of the one who loves us, who's waiting to, to, to engage with us. There's still a world to be reached with the gospel. Yes, we're doing a great job in, in our support of missions, but there's so much more. There's still 2,000 languages still waiting to hear Christ for the first time. The job isn't done. Let's so engage with Christ right now, present tense, and let's be obedient to whatever he commands us that we're willing to step out. Because the reality is, is that Christ has sent us his word because he desires that we would engage with him through it alone. That's why he sent us his word. He wants us to engage. Inclusion, I promise you, this message is going to require a response. And a response may be any one of the following. Perhaps it needs to start with repentance of our neglect. I know I've had, to pause, I've had to pause as I've been preparing for this message of repentance. God, I haven't been engaging with you like I should. As I'm evaluating my passion for the lost and, and the coldness often in my own heart is evidence that I'm not engaging with Christ. And I need to come by way of repentance and say, hey, God, I, I, it's sin. We need to perhaps uh, cut back on activity to allow space to study God's word on a more regular basis. Perhaps we need to take this study guide and begin to use it personally. And uh, maybe you need help. Maybe you need to humble yourself and say, hey, I, I struggle with making sense of Would you help teach me? Would you disciple me? disciple me how to study God's word for myself? Perhaps there's some here that have, that have said, no, God, God, has, God has prompted me to step out in obedience to the nations and I haven't been obedient. There's still a world to be reached with the gospel, whether locally or globally. And for those that want information how to fulfill our global mandate, there's information on the back table you can avail yourself of. It. And there's, there's men here at the church and, and women of the church that love to disciple how to minister locally as well. The job isn't finished. The time is short, believers. Christ is soon going to return, and we're soon going to stand before him to give account. Let's engage with him, starting right now, personally with him, through his word, as he desires to. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Take a moment to evaluate what God is saying to you. Too often we rush out of church and we don't stop to think and pause to evaluate what God wants us, to, how he wants us to respond.
Lord God, we come before you. We come into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who spoke the worlds into being, the all-powerful one, through the blood of Christ alone who's, who's rescued us, forever to be in your embrace. And God, you have so graciously and so lovingly given us your word. And it's your love letter to us. It's our, it's our, it's our source of, of encouragement. It's our source of blessing. But God, we so often set it aside and we discount it. And, and there's so many other voices that we listen to. And we discount the one voice that's the most important, the central one. And God, we ask that you'd forgive us. And God, we, we, we realize and we appreciate and we thank you that you don't leave us to, to undertake this in our own ability. You, you enable us by your Holy Spirit to engage with your word and more importantly, engage with you. And God, we ask that you would lead us. We ask that you would enable us. That we ask that you would give us the grace to respond to your promptings, to, to set aside the time that we need to. And that God, we would be changed, forever changed, moment by moment, through our engagement with you and for you alone. And it would seep out through our, our very lives to those around us. And it would seep out locally and it would seep out globally to seeing those come to know the faith in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're going to do. In thy name, amen.